Hi, this is Bob Murphy, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the statist quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. I'm Norman Horn, president of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I am joined by LCI board member Jason Rink for today's show. If you'd like to contact us and ask a question or submit some feedback, you can reach us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com, as well as on Facebook, Twitter, and, of course, on our website, libertarianchristians.com. We wanted to take an opportunity today to talk about an interesting parallel in Christian life and libertarian ideas, and that is how we go about persuading and influencing others to adopt the principles that we espouse. On the one hand, we might call that evangelism on the Christian side, and on the other, we might call it activism as libertarians. But we don't want to give too much away too early in the show, so Jason, how about you get us started? You know, I I thought it was interesting we— We've got this little statement, this quote by Dr. Norman Horn, in fact, on the LCI Facebook page that says that libertarianism is the most consistent expression of Christian political thought. And so that's a bold claim, and we stand behind that, and we believe that. But um, something to consider is that because we believe that, it makes sense that we would want to see other Christians embrace a libertarian political worldview— Because if we say that libertarianism is the most consistent political philosophy with Christianity, then we are also indicating that all other political worldviews are less consistent with Christianity. We're saying that um, the other political worldviews that people might adopt are not quite as congruent with the teachings of Christ as, as libertarianism is. And, you know, this is a not a not a popular view, it's not a common view from the standpoint that Christians are a big population in the United States of America, and yet, uh, by and large, they are not uh, proclaim themselves as libertarians. Uh, Most Christians tend to find themselves falling into either a category on the right or the left, uh, politically. And so, you know, we think it's a worthy mission to persuade Christians toward libertarianism, uh, because when we look through history and we, when we look through, you know, things that people typically object to about Christianity, many times they're objecting to things about Christianity that are actually something that have come as a result for from Christianity sort of sliding away from what it what the teachings of Christ really are, that 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 Christianity and Christians are not representing the teachings of Christ the way that they present themselves in in the scriptures. And so we see that throughout history, when the church has lost its influence many times, it's come along at the same time that the church has been joined with the state. So if you look at when, you know, in 312 AD, I believe that's the right date, when Constantine, you know, had his conversion and the church, you know, was was joined with the state, I think um, it could be argued that the church lost a little bit of of its purity and influence when that happened. And then like in the 1980s with the religious right um, and the moral majority, um, even though there might have been some political victories won, uh, 
uh, when the you know Christian conservatives sort of took the, took that position and became this uh, political force um, to try to make conservative ideas and moral ideas legislated, I think you could see that um, the church's influence as a whole has has declined since then, and people have looked at Christians with a raised eyebrow. Um, the other thing is, is I think you can look at this mission that we have as well of we also want to see libertarians who are non-Christians uh, embrace Christianity. Um, you know, not necessarily any more than seeing other non-Christians turn to Christ, but as Christian libertarians, we uh, we hang out in communities of libertarians and in communities of liberty, and we are involved in conversation with those who are libertarians but possibly non-Christian. And, uh, you know, just because that's the tribe that we spend time with, we have influence with because we have shared ideas around political ideas and political philosophy, it provides an opportunity for libertarian Christians to influence non-Christian libertarians in a specific way that I don't think other Christians uh, have that opportunity and so I really want to talk about both of those things, influencing non-Christian libertarians towards Christianity and influencing Christians towards a libertarian who might find themselves in some other political philosophy. So does that make sense, Norm? Yeah. In fact, in many respects, this is the reason that LCI exists, right? I mean, we are, we're gunning for everybody in this regard. We want to reach our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and explain to them that just because we are believers and we understand the Bible and we understand even historical theology sometimes, it doesn't mean that you necessarily get all political ideas right. You know, just because you're a Christian doesn't automatically make you, you know, for instance, a great engineer or a great scientist. You have to study the ideas and you have to understand the field. Uh, and in a similar fashion, there are aspects of the natural law, of natural ethics, and the, how that plays out in, so, in, in society that, frankly, you are not just going to get by reading the Bible. And one, one of the things my, thing my father-in-law likes to say at times, and I think it's funny, is, is you know, the Bible, the Bible doesn't teach you to bake a cake. And it's and the point is, is that, like, you can't – you don't learn every single thing about the world – just by quoting a scripture verse at people. There are things that we apply from it in order to get to where, we, to where we're going, but there's more to it. Just because you understand scripture doesn't necessarily mean that you fully understand implications of all economics, for instance. And so that's where we're going here with that and, and with respect toward uh, you know, getting these ideas out and into Christians' heads and hope, hopefully persuading them that these ideas are good. Uh, so that's one, that's one goal. And then I, and that was really when I started libertarianchristians.com, you know, in, two, in late 2008, that was kind of my goal. Uh, it was to begin to m make more inroads in that respect. What we found, you know, over the course of time, and we still get – we still find that this is the case, uh, is that this – that the website and our mission had another sort of ancillary impact 
And that was that occasionally we found out that non-Christians were gaining benefit from reading the material, and they would contact us and let us know that it helped them, and it helped them to understand Christianity better. Sometimes it actually was an instrument of helping them uh, return to the church if they once were Christian, well, they once were part of the uh, of a Christian congregation, they had fallen away and uh, and left the church, and it helped them to get back into it and to realize how how important that really needed to be and, and that knowing God was, uh, was so important, uh, to, to having it, uh, to being fulfilled in life and to fulfilling the purpose that they were created for. Uh, and so even now we get a, a few emails every year unsolicited from people who say like, you know, i wasn't a Christian, but I was a libertarian and I found your website and I started reading and then I started going to a church and I just wanted to let you know, uh, I'm a Christian now. Uh, that's an amazing thing that we didn't really anticipate starting out with, but it happens. And so it kind of begs the question, like, what can we what can we learn from this? Something I, I noticed, you know, when I got involved in libertarianism, you know, it was it was really when I got involved in political activism, it was through Ron Paul in 2007. And I, uh, you know, started a meetup in Columbus, Ohio, and, you know, saw people coming together and we were, you know, going out there trying to get people converted over to the message of Ron Paul, you know, and as I saw this movement grow and what was going on with it, I noticed all of these interesting parallels between sort of like evangelism and discipleship in the New Testament and what we were doing with Ron Paul. Now, Ron Paul was not like, he's not a savior of anything. Let's be clear. I'm not saying that. But what I noticed was that we were forming these voluntary communities of like-minded people. We were sort of all gathering around the teachings, if you will, and the person of Ron Paul. And there was something about that community that was very special. And then as a group, we were trying to find ways to go out there and introduce people to this guy, Ron Paul, and what he said that made so much sense And I started seeing that, like, you know, we were all these disciples of Paul, so to speak. And I just noticed that as a meetup leader, what I was trying to do is I was trying to teach these new converts who were coming in the foundational principles of liberty and libertarianism. And I I realized that what I was trying to do is I was trying to impart to them through teachings of other people, not my teachings. You know, I was sharing with them Austrian economics and, you know, you know, Bastias the law and all these different philosophers who had who had over the years developed these these ideas around human freedom and liberty and the role of the government and the state and violence. And I was trying to disciple these people so that then they could take that worldview and that they could be trained to go out there and discern the proper positions on issues and and go out and they could teach others also just kind of like you know when Paul talked about that you know about how he was teaching Timothy so that Timothy could go out there and teach other people and so I just noticed these parallels in in the idea of activism that what we were going to need to do in the political world to be effective was to get people to understand what we were talking about get them to understand that what we were talking about in libertarianism necessitated that they reject a previously held political worldview and then encourage them to, you know, 
equip themselves and edify themselves in the teachings of libertarianism to go out and influence other people uh, to come into our tribe, you know? So I just saw these these parallels between evangelism and discipleship in the church and evangelism and discipleship in the liberty movement. And I also noticed parallels between not-so-effective tactics. Yeah, I think it's worthy of note here, Jason, too, that you know, while we say there are these parallels and, and that's, that's true. And, and one might say, well, you know, if you're, if in Christian witness though, you know, the Holy spirit is the one who converts and that's true. Uh, that the Holy spirit has to move in the hearts of men in order for them to, to truly, uh, come to an, a, a full knowledge of who Jesus is and become converted. That is absolutely, you know, God always makes the first move there. But I think that, but I think sort of the point is, is that in the similar sense of like, if you're a preacher and you're going to give a sermon, you don't waltz into church on Sunday morning and just expect for the Holy Spirit to make, you know, to make it happen right then and there. The Holy Spirit also works in the preparation and in the study that you do beforehand uh, to, to make that presentation of the gospel on that Sunday morning and so on and so forth. The point is, is that our, our understanding of how we do this is part of what is part of how the spirit works. And it's part of a, uh, and I think it's, it's interesting and useful to think about it in this way as we go about, you know, working toward improving our ability to influence. Yeah. And I would uh, concur with that, obviously. And I would also say that, you know, because our work in um, converting or influencing, persuading uh, people towards libertarianism isn't necessarily uh, spirit anointed in the same way that, you know, um, somebody coming to Christ is, I would say it's even more important for us to understand um, and consider this question of tactics and strategy and and in wisdom around how people come to embrace or reject certain ideas. And we want to be great we want to be great witnesses to the gospel itself. Like we don't want to we don't want to we we know that if we try and, you know, present the gospel like a jerk, like yeah, okay, the Lord could work in that. But do you ever really see that happen? No, because we know that that by being faithful to the gospel in uh, in our study in our preparation, that's when the Lord works. That brings me to the other point that I have, which is that I I also notice not so effective parallels um, between how sometimes the church has chosen to go about communicating its message um, and seeking to win people uh, to Christ, uh, and how the Liberty movement sometimes goes about that, that same thing. Yeah. You know, it reminds me, you, you, uh, love them or hate them who cares, but Rob Bell has this great NUMA video from years and years and years ago. It was like early two thousands, right. Called bullhorn guy. I mean that, that yeah. <laughs> if you, you know, anybody who's doing the bullhorn on the, sh- on the street corner, you know, to try and uh, like that, that's not, that's not a, that's not the way the gospel should go to and be presented to people. I think the argument we'd make is that it, it's probably not the most effective. Like, you know, Bullhorn Guy probably has won a few people to Christ, who knows? But the fact of the matter is, is that it goes against the way that human nature operates in in many instances. And I think the same thing kind of can happen in the world of, of libertarian thought. I think, it, I think this happens in the world of any thought. Anywhere you find that people believe themselves to be right and others to be wrong, 
Um, and because of how we're built as people, we get this idea that um, trying to convince people that they're wrong and we're right and trying to shame people into adopting a certain position or to agree with us, we start thinking that that is somehow effective. And it's not effective in trying to get people to come over to the liberty movement. The, the question is like, you know, it's like, does calling people a statist, is that an effective strategy, um, you know, shouting them down about their statism? Uh, is that an effective strategy for somebody who's like just kind of exploring this? And is airing our inter, intra-liberty movement uh, quarrels that nobody cares about other than us, it's totally inside baseball, does all of that do anything to really attract other people to what we're doing? Or does that just make it look like we're a bunch of, you know, messy, you know, complaining, hateful uh, people? You know what I mean? So I just think there's a certain way that we as people, especially in the liberty movement, so and I know in this conversation it'll be weird because it's like, are we talking about the church or are we talking about the liberty movement? Well, what we're talking about is being libertarian Christians and how to impact the people in our spheres of influence towards either of those worldviews, which those worldviews act as dual lenses through which we perceive and we understand all of the things that we need to understand in our lives. And so, you know, that's the topic of conversation here is, is how do we best go about uh, interacting with people, talking to people, and working toward uh, seeing more people come to understand these ideas. And, and, you know, when I'm talking about the libertarianism and Christianity as worldviews, um, really I'm talking about these as complementary ideas that um, address different things because uh, libertarianism is a philosophical approach to uh, power and violence as utilized by the state in, in political spheres. And um, whereas Christianity is a, a worldview that deals with um, who we are in this world, what we're here for, our um, spiritual condition before God, you know, it's, it's, it, it deals with issues that are outside of libertarianism's scope. Like, libertarianism should not uh, be a comprehensive um, philosophy about uh, life and um, the meaning of life and ethics and all of that sort of thing, I don't think. So, well, it certainly um, isn't complete. We look at it as, a, as a, yeah, it's it's incomplete. It's 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 an aspect of it, and it specifically deals with our relationships with other yeah, people. Yeah, and it's a feature, not a bug. You know that that's sort of the point. <laughs> yes, and and so uh, along those lines, I guess one thing I want to want to talk about, kind of where I want to dive into this, is is evangelizing Christians for liberty. And so, you know, what we see or what we tend to see in America is we see that, you know, because Christians adopt political ideas. It's just what happens. And I think even, you know, in our generation, in our culture right now, um, it's pretty divided. I mean, we see Christians who find themselves firmly in the Bernie Sanders wing of the Democrat Party. And then we find Christians that find themselves 
firmly in the Donald Trump wing of the Republican Party. And some of those people who are in the Donald Trump wing of the Republican Party, well, they wish they were in the Rick Santorum wing of the Republican Party or the Ted Cruz wing of the Republican Party. But Donald Trump's the guy who won, and he's he's the man that represents conservative Republican ideas, which Christians, many Christians on the right, think, well, that's that's the home that I have, and that represents my ideas. And then you've got the the Christians on the left that uh, you know they might they might reject certain ideas about uh, Hillary Clinton and, and that sort of thing. And when the election was happening, they were Bernie Sanders fans, and then they said, "Well, um, Hillary Clinton's way better than Donald Trump when it comes to." Uh, embracing the ideas that I think are important as a Christian. And that's sort of how things played out. And so us as libertarians, and again, we have this sense that what we believe is actually more congruent with uh, the teachings of Christ, specifically when we look at how Christ boiled down, you know, the whole of the Bible in love the Lord thy God with all thy thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And when you then sort of just dig deeper on that, and you realize that, you know, the uh, as Brian Zahn likes to say, and he says it so eloquently, um, you know, that the really the way that you measure whether you love God is is your love of neighbor, and the way you know if you're loving your neighbor is whether you're loving your enemy, and. This is really at the core of what separates libertarianism from either the the political philosophies on the right and the left, is this idea that we believe that loving your neighbor as yourself is something that is a core belief that Jesus espoused that we're supposed to follow as Christians, and part of that involves loving our enemies, and part of that involves not stealing from our neighbor. Um, and so this is just one of those those things that then then as we go about trying to influence Christians who are not liber- libertarian and influence them, we have to figure out how do we go about um, entering into those conversations and and not from a standpoint where uh, it's accusatory, um, where my position might be, uh, well, how can you how can you want to blow up uh, you know, lost Muslims uh, through the U.S. war machine, or um, how can you want to steal money to feed the poor through the government? Um, some of those arguments are, that, that seems to be the way that we might lead into those arguments, and yet I think it's more important for us to figure out how we can go about, um, you know, finding common ground in those type of things. And so, something I want to just uh, share about is an, an example of how somebody on the right that I was interacting with on Facebook, um, it sort of exemplifies how a Christian might be very firm in their position and think that they're espousing liberty, think that they stand for liberty, and yet find themselves in a position that is completely uh, antithetical to liberty, and yet not understand this cognitive dissonance that's going on with them. And I want to just recount a little bit of a uh, something that happened to me, uh, a, a discussion that I got into. So there was a, I don't know if you um, saw this going around, Norm, but 
there was this um, article going around about this uh, couple of churches or a couple of mega churches that were going to withhold funds from the Southern Baptist uh, Convention because of some statements that Russell Moore had made, right? So Russell Moore um, is part of the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm not sure what his role there is specifically, but in this in this article about this church in Dallas that was withholding funds, they specifically cited that they were upset about some statements that Russell Moore made about Donald Trump that were negative, and also because Russell Moore um, defended the building of a mosque and 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 stood up for uh, against uh, the government preventing a mosque from being built um, somewhere in the country, and so. Uh, somebody that is a Tea Party Republican type leader, okay, conservative Christian, would hail from the wing of the Rick Santorum wing of the Republican Party. They published this article about these churches withholding funds because Russell Moore had the audacity to challenge Donald Trump and and said that you know a mosque should be legally allowed to be built, that the government shouldn't stand in the way. You know, this person posted this article and then said. There is hope for revival in the American church when a pastor shows courage like this. True leadership requires taking a stand. This is answered prayer. So this Christian believes that it's an answered prayer and that it's taking a stand when a church refuses to give money to the Southern Baptist Convention over negative things said about Donald Trump and defending that a mosque has the right to be built. And so... Russell Moore's comments that that really inspired this was Russell Moore, you know, he came out with this statement, and I think the statement is so good, and I think we really need to understand this. He said, brothers and sisters, when you have a government that says we can decide whether or not a house of worship can be constructed based on the theological beliefs of that house of worship, then there are going to be Southern Baptist churches in San Francisco and New York and throughout this country that are not going to be able to be built. And he basically said, look, we've got to stand up for liberty of all faiths in the United States if we want our liberty to be protected. So as a libertarian, that makes a ton of sense to me. I see that very, very clearly. However, there are people who are have read the Constitution, are, you know, they're 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 faithful Christians, they believe the Bible. They claim to be for all of these ideas about freedom, and yet don't see how these things are incompatible with liberty. Is is that making sense, Norm? This this thing I'm laying out here. Totally. And R- Russell Moore is uh, just incidentally is he's uh, he's a preacher and he's uh, the head of uh, the Ethics and Public Policy Commission. I think is what it's called, uh, which is uh, I'm sorry, Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Uh, which is part of the Southern Baptist Convention, and and you know, and it's what that's one of the best things I think I've ever heard him say. And he's kind of been a mixed bag in the past, but I, you know, you really can respect that. Yeah, sure. Um, it's it's just really, it's really foreign, I think, to a number of Christians to to kind of recognize the perils of power like that. You know, a government that has the ability to do everything you want to enforce all of the of the types of things that you want to see in society at the point of a gun is the same government that when it hits the other side of the coin can take it all away and enforce the exact opposite 
And this is exactly what we're seeing in a number of areas or what we have seen in a number of areas uh, over the past, you know, 15 or 16 years uh, in, in, you know, in the United States today. You know, and this is just again, this is just anecdotal of like an exchange. But I feel like this person that I was I was dealing with represents a pretty common, you know, strain of conservative Christians in the United States. And so I simply pointed out, I said, don't you think Russell Moore's got a point here, though, about how if in one place they can deny building a mosque, in other places they can deny building a church? And this this person responded, and, you know, she said, you know, why would you help to bring in a facility that worships false gods and hinders people from finding Jesus? How can a Christian leader justify that? Maybe the government has to play fair, which I could argue, since this is at the local level, not the federal and the state. But we as believers are to push back the darkness and not invite it in. So that was her position. And then her husband commented and said, when it comes to building mosques, Muslims have the undying support of the left, retarded libertarians, and Russell Moore. And I thought this was very interesting because, you know, on one hand, this idea that the Muslims are the powers of darkness and all of that and like joining hands with with you know with evil and yet there's not this idea that like the federal government really because this person was like yay trump trump is now in control of the federal government this idea that the federal government isn't a principality or power that might be also a force of of darkness that that because the united states government this whole Christian nation idea. I think it's interesting to me to think that somehow Muslim mosques are more a threat to Christians than many, many other things. And I think that the state ultimately and state power ultimately can be a much greater threat to Christians, especially when it's not being, uh, when we don't have quote unquote our team in as the president. And it's the same flaw that's been made on the left and the right, you know, this expansion of federal power under the left, they love it. Then when the right gets that power, they're like, oh no, and the right does the same thing. And it's like, look, this is not good either way. So I think we have a big challenge because many, many Christians see libertarians as retarded libertarians who just stand for moral atrocities that, um, that, you know, that good Christians shouldn't endorse. And um, and that's just not true. And I think as Christian libertarians, we have an opportunity to step in here and say, you know, and and use our, our knowledge and understanding of the Bible, use our Christian witness and testimony in our communities to be able to talk to people who are Christians but not libertarians and say, look, yeah, you know, I understand where you're coming from here, but Let's talk about these fundamental ideas of liberty. Let's talk about these fundamental ideas of, I don't know, that just resonate with, with, with what we believe about it, about Christianity. And we said earlier, you know, that, that just because we can quote Bible verses and understand theology, it doesn't, you know, make us, it doesn't make us qualified or, or just automatically knowledgeable about all of these aspects of political theory and economics and whatnot. But one nice thing is that, we have a basis of knowledge with which we can learn. And that's one of the the great things, at least I, 
I feel like coming in and talking to other Christians about liberty, where we have an interesting advantage, if you will, is that Christians are already, uh, let's give it, there's a predisposition toward recognizing truth as God created it. And with any, with any, you know, with any approach that we can take, uh, we have to make the assumption that our, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ are in good faith trying to live out their, their Christian life as best as they see it too. We, we have to start from there, right? And so if we appeal to the good things that they already know, and we appeal to the, to the, the, the good behavior, the good, uh, the solid ways in which you behave um, with your neighbor and what we believe about human interaction, just generally speaking, as Christians, I think we can get to that point where you can recognize, look, what you are espousing is not, it may not be, it, it may not be in line with what you claim to believe already. How about you consider the possibility that there's a better way of thinking about it? And that's, at least to me, I think that's like, that's a powerful, you know, that's a powerful uh, piece of our arsenal there that really we should wield very, and, and wield gently, of course. It's not like we should beat somebody over the head with it. You know, like, be more consistent, wham, 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 but appeal to what's good in them already. There's this passage in like Acts, uh, this. Scripture in Acts 18, where it's about um, uh, this guy, Apollos, who, like, understood, uh, he only understood the baptism of John, you know, and then I think it's Aquila and Priscilla come along, and they uh, expound to him the way of Christ more perfectly. Like, he had part of the story, but he didn't have the whole story, right? And he was out there, you know... Uh, preaching, I think, on the baptism of John, and he had like some incomplete theology, basically, is what it was. And they came along and they were like, hey, some other things have occurred, check this out, and they helped him understand the way of Christ more perfectly. And I think that's kind of the role that we're in with our Christian brothers and sisters who might, there, there's a lot of them out there who I think they're they're seeing this this concept, they understand some things about about government and about force and about violence, and they understand this thing about, they, they understand some things, but we have to come along. It would be nice if we could come along and help them connect some additional dots. And the way that we can help them connect these additional dots isn't by telling them how little they know or 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 how bad they are, you know? It's about us being able to come along and ask powerful questions, really understand the context from which they're operating understand what it is that's driving them to embrace certain things. I mean, I think I think the further we go along, the the more we realize that people operate so much out of fear. And I think it's really terrible that Christians operate out of fear because, you know, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Like, God is, re, you know, he's given us so many reasons to be peaceful about where we're at in the world and understanding that he's in control of so many things and he's sovereign over so many things and that even if we would experience persecution, which... Many conservative Christians are concerned are going to come at the hands of the Democrats, right, or whatever. It's like, look, all of these things are things that God is is orchestrating and working in our lives anyway. Um, what I think is more important, and and I think it's it's I think it's very important. I think it's very important that we as libertarians 
who are also Christians, we can come along and have a platform with Christians because we understand the gospel. We understand who Jesus is. We have that shared community with them. And we can come along and I think most importantly, really help people understand about where Jesus stands in the issue of violence. I mean, I really think that is the one of the biggest problems in the church right now is that Jesus is, you know, he really lays out this call for the people of God to be nonviolent, for us to love our enemy, for us to turn the other cheek, all of these things that he laid out. And yet I think many people see the church as reactive and critical and fearful and, uh, you know, angry and all of these things are represented so much in the in the in the conservative Christian, the Christian right, in my opinion. I know we're not spending that much time on the Christian left right now, but um, and 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 so I don't know. I I just think that that is a critical mission for us. Well, we can we can spend some time on on the left too. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you can maybe you can talk about that a little bit because I think the error of the left, the the Christian left, um, is can be just as grievous um, and can be just as destructive. And can be just as harmful as the error on the right on the Christian right. Absolutely. Well, I'm I'm just floored oftentimes by the way in which the like the left has really reached kind of a a, a real foothold in uh, in you know kind of Christian uh, in in Christian circles in general. Uh, it's especially with regards to how they view economics, uh, because that's that's just so critical to how the world operates. I mean, if we, if we continue to adopt more and more socialistic style policies, uh, that literally has a cost in lives in the long run, uh, whether that's, you know, socialized medicine or, 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 you know, accepting, uh, accepting that certain types of economic sanctions, whether against people at home or people abroad in the form of taxes, tariffs, whatever has a real cost that these, that these folks just don't seem to recognize. And then in addition to that, how the, the what they think is a good thing. That is the government provision of cer- certain types of services and resources and whatnot is beyond just inefficient. It has a, a even further cost in, in not just being inefficient, but in hampering productivity and, and act and, promoting human good uh, in the long run. And all of those things, again, I, I keep saying this, they have a cost. Uh, and that's and that's something where, you know, Christians for like for millennia here have been, you know, vehicles of progress. I mean, even Max Weber talked about how there's, it, he was not really much of a Christian, but he sort of noticed that the, that the, the, the Protestants in particular had this peculiar uh, spirit about them that led to the formation of kind of modern capitalism in a, in a certain way. And, and it, there are a variety of factors and we don't need to go into that, but like, this is the antithesis of that. This is, this is completely reversing it. And that is a, that, that's really unfortunate, but where does the fault lie or where does the problem lie in how they think? It's not that they're terrible people and that they they hate humankind and they it's, they literally and they literally do not understand some very fundamental principles about wh- how economics works. And while there are times, you know, both on the right and the left, there are times reserved for some strong words. Uh, we can't just you know leading with 
you obviously want people to die. <laughs> it, it's not exactly the, the best means of going about persuading them uh, to adopt a different type of view. And you bring up a good point. Like, here's the thing. What we're talking about is serious. Like, bad economic policy has probably cost more lives than bad foreign policy over the, over, over the course of history. I, I don't know what the numbers are, but like bad economic policy related to all of these other things. And there's so much of like the hidden unseen that is a result of that. Like it just, it kills people. It's killed people all over the world, all throughout history. And so it's like, this is a serious thing. And yet it's, the problem is, is that bad economic policy many times is got this like sort of uh, soft heart. Well, it's been baptized it. in religious language, oftentimes. Yeah, but, but that's. I mean, that's something we we do see, and it and you know, slight aside for a moment here. You know, we we as Christian libertarians, I think sometimes we have a unique view of uh, an, an vantage point by which we can see how the state tries to set itself up as replacing God. Uh, and I think that we we can we should appeal to that understanding and try and convince people of that. I guess the 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 point is is that um, and it, just not to stray too much from what I think we were originally were sort of setting out to do, but so we've got this divide of Christians that we see around us and that we brush shoulders with and that populate most of the churches in the United States. Most of them find themselves on the right or on the left. And there are errors on both of those sides regarding consistency with the teachings of Christ. So what we've got to do is I think we've got to leverage the common ground that we have with those Christians, that we are also Christians, because in the same way that Christians, um, you know, Democrats tend to disregard uh, any type of, of comments from, like, Republicans, and Republicans disregard comments from you know, Democrats. It's like we get into our own echo chambers. We only listen to our own sources. The same thing I think can happen in in Christianity. It's like, hey, how much weight are we going to put on somebody, uh, somebody's opinion about some of these issues when they're not a Christian, right? They don't even understand these fundamental things that we believe are true about reality in the universe. And so what we've got to do is we've got to take what we do understand about that in that common ground and then we've got to find ways in order to join up with those people who who are around us and who we brush shoulders with that might not have a libertarian idea, and we've got to work with them to try to influence them towards libertarianism. We're going to get into some tactics uh, a little bit later on, uh, but I really kind of want to transition this over into this idea of evangelizing libertarians for Christ because it's really the same issue. Uh, how do Christian libertarians approach libertarians who are not Christians and influence them towards the gospel? And again, it's this there's a there's a a common thread here is that, you know, when you start talking to libertarians, all right, they have a way of disregarding what anybody has to say if they're not a libertarian. It's like it's like, hey, I'm not gonna listen to what a statist has to say about anything. You know, I'm I'm being a little bit facetious, but it is true. It's it, again, there's a certain baseline of understanding that when you connect with people in the libertarian community, you find other libertarian friends that you hang out with or whatever. You've got common beliefs around politics and violence and force, and it 
it's an interesting tribe to be a part of. It's it's a tribe and a community that I've gotten a ton of value out of. I love many of the people that I've met and spent time with in the libertarian community. Um, as much as I do any church I've been a part of, as much as I do any other social group I've been a part of. And yet, many of those people that I come across, um, not only are they not Christian, but they're antagonistic towards Christian ideas. They believe that Christianity is not uh, compatible with liberty and libertarianism. They have either experienced some form of Christianity in the past that has been extremely statist in some way, it's uh, hailed from the you know the hard right or the hard left, or uh, maybe it's been a form of Christianity that didn't have any power, that didn't really embody the teachings of Christ. That they looked at it and they experienced it, and they were like, "This is what's happening here is is not compatible with libertarianism." And and I f- I found that some of these libertarians uh, who aren't Christians, I don't want to say libertarianism is necessarily a religion for them. But it's a guiding uh, ethos. It's a it's an ethical framework, and they're not going to consider a religious or belief system um, of Christianity if they perceive that that uh, is incongruent with the ethics and belief system they have around libertarianism, specifically again around violence. And so uh, we have an interesting. Um, uh, you know, opportunity and challenge there. Norm, the amount of time you've been working in this Christian libertarian space, I'm sure that you've encountered a number of libertarians who have said, how in the world, and especially even being a PhD as you are, I know Bob Murphy's encountered this, this idea that you're this real thinking person, very rational, you're obviously very smart, and you understand libertarianism, and then, you know, record scratch moment, wait, you're a Christian too? How do you, as a thinking, smart, intelligent, rational person, I- embrace Christianity? And I think that tends to be a real common objection from libertarians. Definitely. I've experienced that more often than I would probably care to admit. Uh, but, but you know, I think an interesting, an interesting thing here, too, is that we also have to remember, you've mentioned a variety of ways in which uh, people have... Uh, misperceptions about Christian faith and the the church and whatnot. Some people are also just very wounded by the church. Uh, I've found a number of people who in, who were Christian in the they considered themselves Christians in the past, and that was part of their former life. Uh, and something happened because churches are not perfect. Uh, and Christians are not perfect people, and we make some pretty grave errors sometimes. And I mean, I've seen churches split, and I've seen Christians do some pretty terrible things to each other at times. Um, you know, they see that, and that was what drove them away. Um, and they believe, and, and they they come away from, the, or they leave the church with this belief that that's what the church is about. And so, to introduce them to back to Jesus. In a, in, with us in, and being the ambassador for Jesus in that instance with a completely different mindset, uh, with a, with a very, uh, a, a very different way of thinking about, uh, the world around us at times that can be, that, that's, a, that's important. Uh, that can be a very important way in which we can, in which we reach out to these people at times. I was going to say, that's just a great point. Like I, I feel like, you know, I mean, 
I think the rejection of Christ and the church is really like understandable for a lot of people because again, yeah, I think people have been deeply wounded by the church and I think you know, um that's something that is just a fact. It's 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 pervasive. We have to be sensitive to that at times. Yeah, absolutely. And so that that leads me to really where where I think all of this kind of comes together, which is that um, you know, one thing that libertarians have tried to do, and it's been ineffective, is we've had the best arguments, right? So as libertarians, when we've tried to uh, convince people about libertarianism, you know, and, and this has to do a little bit with the type of people I think are naturally attracted to libertarianism, what we want to do is we want to try to use, like, data and facts and reason and rhetoric as our strongest weapon to get people to, you know, to shatter people's paradigms uh, that they have about politics, right? So if only we can show them how, you know, free markets and voluntary exchange and all of those things, like how that increases wealth and has, you know, made everything better for however many decades and over a century, if only they can understand that, or if only they could see about, you know, how taxation is theft. You know, if only they could see how, like, if only we could lay out enough white papers and facts and graphs and data, then surely people would be libertarian. And yet... Th- and memes. Don't forget memes. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> memes, are, out of all those things, memes are actually probably the most powerful. Sometimes. But, <laughs> sometimes. It's, but, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like... If that were the case, the world would be libertarian by now, but that's not the case. Well, the reason it's not the case is because people are not entirely convinced by facts and truth. You know, people are are actually more apt to embrace, you know, beauty or make an emotional connection or decision about something and use facts as like backlighting. They use facts to support the decisions that they make out of emotional reasons. And so, and this is something that is discussed really well um, in Jonathan Haidt's book, The Righteous Mind, where he talks about the fact that really facts, I don't want to say facts don't matter, but they're not that integral in how most people make decisions about what they're going to believe. And I would encourage us as Christian libertarians to find ways for both Christianity and libertarianism to highlight what's what's so beautiful about what we're talking about, to highlight what connects at the most emotional, resonant level with people. Because in both Christianity and libertarianism, there's a lot of beauty. Uh, there's a lot to, to like about peace and voluntary interaction and free markets. If people can understand that free market capitalism isn't, you know, J.P. Morgan Chase Bank or isn't, you know, Exxon Mobil or whatever they think like free market capitalism is, right? Free market capitalism is the beautiful thing that they're seeing with Uber. It's what it's what's happening out there in Bitcoin. It's what's happening across the Internet when somebody sells something on Etsy, right? It's it's connections made in that way. It's, um you know, um so free market capitalism is what is is enabling people who have no resources 
to be able to have access to resources to reach their fullest potential as a human being. Like finding ways to talk about that is is what's more interesting, not the data about how, you know, less people live on $1 a day now than they have in 70 years. We can use those facts to like fill in once we make an emotional connection with somebody about a story about somebody's life or or showing people what's really happening. And not just on, on that, but also on on the ideas of peace. You know, I think um, everybody wants, everybody talks about peace. They want world peace. It's like a trite thing that like, you know, beauty pageant queens say that they want uh, when, they, when they're going to be Miss America. And yet governments and, you know, the principalities and powers of the world have not been able to bring world peace ever. It's never occurred. The only kind of peace that empire and governments have ever been able to bring is a very tenuous peace that only exists when you don't defy it. It's, it's a peace that happens through a threat. And so if we can find ways to connect with people about this idea of voluntary interaction and us as people living together in peace, not because we're afraid of the sword, but because we, you know, we really, you know, as humans, we can function together in harmony based on, you know, these certain ideas or whatever. So I'm, I'm just kind of riffing, but I'm just saying, like, I think there's a lot of beauty in libertarianism that I don't think we spend enough time talking about, that I don't think we spend enough time showing or demonstrating. And I think part of that has to do with with how we relate to one another uh, as libertarians, honestly. Like, I think if as a libertarian community, we could find ways to coexist with one another more peacefully, uh, though within the libertarian community, we hold diverse ideas. I think that would be awesome. And I think the same is true within Christianity. I think the world, uh, the, the non-Christian world, um, if they would look at Christianity and communities of Christ followers and see something truly beautiful and see something truly peaceful, see something truly nonviolent, see something truly reaching out and caring for the needs of the poor and the least among us, I think... I think they would see something beautiful. And I think we would be able to use that platform of beauty by which to win libertarians to this idea of and person of who Christ is that represents so many things that are consistent with these libertarian ideals. I have a friend who's a, is a good guy. His name is Jim Lark. Uh, he, I'm, I'm not sure if you've ever met him, but he's, he's a really great libertarian ambassador. And he says some stuff that I've I, I've always taken to heart. I met him back when I was a student and and working with libertarian Longhorns at University of Texas uh, years and years ago. And I, you know, I get to see him usually once once a year or so. I uh, just saw him a few weeks ago. Anyway, that Jim is a wonderful guy, and one of the things he's taught me is that you know oftentimes when people make a or make a, some sort of claim or ask a question about libertarian ideas, that often there's something that's going on behind it. That is probably more important than or or let's just say is at least as if not more important than the answer that you bring forward uh, about the claim or about the question. And that's something akin to, you know, is this philosophy that is your that you're espousing uh, this libertarianism? Is this about like do good people do this? Are you a good are you a good person? Will this result in a society that I would want to live in? 
And interestingly enough, we could kind of say a similar sort of thing with respect to being a Christian. Now, granted, there's, there is indeed a resistance that comes uh, f- because of because of our uh, you know we are rebellious against Jesus and we uh, and we are sinners uh, that is absolutely correct but there's also this aspect of like well are, is, is the Christian worldview is that a is that a world that I'd want to live in and there there is this they ask the, these is this is a realistic question that people will ask is this the type of life that I would want to live. And we should be able to emphatically answer yes to that, that being a Christian and be, is, is absolutely the, the most fulfilling thing that you could possibly do with your life, that knowing God surpasses everything else in this world. And uh, I think that's, that's something that, you know, kind of speaks to this beauty point that you're, that you're making, that how, how is not fulfilling one's purpose that God has laid out for us, uh, not the most beautiful thing that you could envision for yourself. Uh, and it gives, you know, the, the God is most pleased when we are most satisfied in him. It's a classic Christian statement uh, that, that we've heard many a time, right? Uh, it's can, it, you'll find it all over the place in Christian history. That is a wonderful thing. And, uh, and that, I think that's just, it resonated with me and what you were saying with about beauty and, and being able to reach out to Christians or to both to Christians and to non-Christians about liberty and Christianity respectively. Well, that's great. And, and it's a good segue into sort of like landing this plane that we sort of took off and we've been all over the place and now we've got to land because we have to keep these podcasts to a reasonable length. Got to end sometime. After all. <laughs> so... I really think we need to recognize as Christian libertarians um, and as Christians, as libertarians, as Christian libertarians, like when we get right down to it, what we what we're really talking about is how to live in community with other people. Like that's what it's all about. I mean, we can we can get into the nuance and the detail of it, but really, how do we live in harmony with other people in society? And I think it's important to recognize uh, when we talk to people, and this is sort of, you know, Jim Lark, with the statement that you shared about him, you know, really kind of dovetails with this. You know, what's really going on with people? And us recognizing that when we talk to anybody about either of these issues— Everybody walks into that conversation with their own context, with their own view, with their own experiences, with their own information, with their own facts, with their own reality. And that is their reality. It's their viewpoint. And to them, it is absolutely true. It is as true for them as the reality and the viewpoint that we have, that we walk into that conversation with, with all of our experiences our upbringing, our inner thoughts, all of these things, and that makes up our context. And so what happens is when, we, when we're standing in front of somebody and we're trying to relate to them as one human to another human, what we have to do is we have to say, wait a minute, I want to understand and empathize where, with where that person is coming from. 
as much as what we want to do is we want to be heard. So what we often do is we just try to talk and say and argue and try to make our point and try to get somebody to agree with us. And they come to the relationship with the exact same agenda. So what we need to do and, and is we need to enter into that interaction trying to understand that person. And if we can go into that interaction and we can ask powerful questions, we can try to figure out where they're at, try to figure out what they're thinking, try to find out more about what they believe and what they understand, there's something interesting that happens. We have the information, we get the information, we gain the insight into what it is to be that person and to think like they think and to understand what they understand. And what that does is it positions us in a much better place to be able to relate to them as one human to another human seeking to live in harmony on this planet, and we're able to speak to the things that are important to them. We're able to speak to them using their own language. We're we're able to speak to them from a standpoint of understanding rather than from a more adversarial standpoint. And so I think the more that we can be, um, you know, it's sort of like a wise as uh, serpents, harmless as doves type of thing. You know, we need to be the best ambassadors of liberty that we can. So we need to have a great testimony on this planet. We need to walk around embodying what we believe, having integrity about it. I think being people of integrity is important when it comes to being a libertarian and when it comes to being a Christian. Then I think what we need to do is we need to be ready to share our liberty story with people. So when it is our opportunity to speak, when we do have something to say, what we can do is we can share a story with them that's beautiful. We can talk about how our mind changed. We can start from a position of saying, I didn't always believe this, but now I do. Here's why my mind changed. My mind changed around this issue. My mind changed around that issue. And the more we understand about where that person's coming from, the more we can frame our story around the issues that are important to them. And so that's where finding common ground comes into play. You know, figuring out where we can speak to somebody on something that's going to resonate with them, not talk to them about taxation is theft. If that's not something that's important to them, if that's not something that's even in their frame of reference, what they're trying to figure out is how people who don't have very many opportunities in this country, how free market capitalism might help them or somebody who's concerned about war or, you know, any number of issues or somebody who's concerned about other things that they might perceive as an issue as a threat to them and their family, how how liberty might be the answer to that. And then the other thing that I think we need to do is I think we need to always be diligent to refine our beliefs, whether it is our Christian beliefs or our libertarian beliefs, to make sure that we're always seeking to learn more, understand more, understand the history of what we believe, uh, read as much as we can about people who've believed what we you know, believed these things, whether that's uh, different people throughout the history of the church or whether that's different people who've been, you know, formulating these political philosophies. The more we can understand what we believe in the philosophy of the, either Christianity and liberty, the more prepared we are to articulate those things when that point comes in our ability to relate to people. And then the other thing that I think we can sometimes um, underestimate is how appealing the community of liberty or the community of the church can be. You know, we we need to uh, cultivate 
um, communities that will be attractive to people. I think we need to recognize that there are a lot of people out there in the world that are lonely, that are looking for connection, that are looking for community. And the libertarian community and the church, those are two of the most dynamic communities of diverse people. They're voluntary societies of diverse people coming together around a common idea. They're amazing. And, you know, we should seek to cultivate those types of communities for people. We should, for ourselves, and invite people in. And then we should look for opportunities for strategic diversity. We should look for opportunities to find people that are not like us. We should look to try to find ways to expand the communities of libertarianism and the church so that it represents, you know, all nations, tribes, and tongues, people from all over the place, recognizing that the idea of liberty, as Ron Paul used to say, brings people together. And then when you bring those people together under these common ideas— People will see how unity is achieved. So all of these things, this is just a big soup of beauty I feel like I'm throwing out there right now. Um, but these are very tactical ideas. These are very, what can I do to create an environment where either the idea of libertarianism or Christianity will be appealing to the types of people that we're seeking to reach out to? Uh, Norm, that was a mouthful right there. So I'm looking for you to step in and make any final comments or anything that that might uh, shed light on anything that might not have made sense there. Well, I, I have a, I think a few closing comments that may you know kind of help wrap things up and and uh, and give us some additional context and I, things to think about and we can come away with. You know, one thing I, I I try to recall remember when I'm in conversations at times with those who are both non-Christians or uh, especially uh, those who are not libertarians uh, and who are Christian, um, you know, you, you kind of need to remember there was a point in time when you were probably like them too. You know, maybe, maybe you're the, the, you have not been a Christian all your life and you, there was a time in which you were not a believer. Uh, that's something important to remember. Uh, and if you were, and if you're a Christian trying to to reach other, uh, to convince other Christians of uh, libertarianism, I can distinctly remember t- t- not being a libertarian. <laughs> uh, I mean, I grew up in the church. That's never really was a point at which I wasn't believing, but I definitely was not always a libertarian. And I kind of, I think that that is a that's something to remember. And it's, that helps us to be, you know, a little humble in that. Um, I think finally, one thing I, I, that is just we can we can't emphasize this enough uh, with respect to what it means uh, to be an acting Christian libertarian in this world is that our primary goal uh, is to imitate Jesus. Uh, we have got to recognize that our that our principal value that we that we throw out into the world, whether it sticks or not, at any point in time, is are you imitating Christ? Uh, and ho- hopefully, uh, you will, you know, take it from Paul, take it from your parents, so take it from the, your, the Christian leaders that you've known in your life. You know, as you see me imitate Christ, imitate me. Uh, take on good examples of those people who are imitating Christ and study the example of Christ. Work to imitate that. Uh, and the more that you do that, uh, the better witness you will ultimately be. Um, and you will and you will find great satisfaction in being more closely aligned uh, with the person of Jesus. Uh, that is a, and that's a wonderful thing. Yeah, that's great. And, uh, I think that's, um, that's, you know, the primary 
calling that we have. I mean, even even as what we've talked about tonight, you know, only only imitate what we've said insofar as you can clearly see it imitating Christ because we're we're fallen humans, too. Yeah, absolutely. And that idea of of remembering when you didn't believe what you believe now, uh, that is a that is a, a frame of mind that will allow you to have so much grace with other people recognizing that we don't have all the answers right now. Um, we have discarded things that we no longer believe and have adopted things that we uh, think are superior now. And that's where everybody finds themselves. And so the more grace that we can have with people, um, the easier it is for people to actually come to their own conclusions and feel like they've changed their own mind about things rather than having been convinced of something by uh, some some deft rhetoric or whatnot. But so I think that's a good place to end up. So we're so glad that you've taken some time out to learn a little bit uh, along with us about what it means to to be a Christian libertarian, to help influence others, and to make an impact for for liberty and for Christ, both in the church and amongst your non-Christian friends and family. Uh, we hope that that's a benefit to you in some small way. And we'd like to remind you as well that we hope that you're keeping track of us on the net. You can find us all over the web, and if you want to reach out to us, if you want to ask any questions, you want to give us some feedback, you can always do that by emailing us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash libertarianchristians, on Twitter at LCI official, and also on our website libertarianchristians.com slash contact, and you can reach us there anytime you like. We would look forward to hearing from you, and we will see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. The audio engineers were Doug Stewart and Jason Rink, and voiceovers were by Matthew Bellis and Caitlin Horn. If you'd like to find out more about the LCI, please visit us on the web at www.libertarianchristians.com. Thank you.